0: The Commercial Real Estate Show is an informative radio program for thought-provoking enlightenment. The show, nor the station, host, or guest through the show audio are providing legal, accounting, or other fiduciary advice. For representation to suit your specific requirements, engage an experienced professional familiar with your company, property sector, and market area. For recommendations to professional providers to suit your endeavors, you're invited to contact the host at CommercialRealEstateShow.com. Enjoy. Enjoy. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thank you for joining us to lead, learn, and laugh. Learn market knowledge and best practices to lead your company's success. And that's whatever type of company you work with and laugh, I believe we have to have some fun along the way. Hello, I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. If you have any questions or comments related to this show or about any commercial real estate related endeavors, we do appreciate hearing from you. Our phone number, email, brainwaves, social media contacts, everything's available at the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Our topic today is Corporate Office Tenant Strategies for 2014. The economy, job market, and the way we work has changed more in the past several years than it has ever before, I believe. And so have Office Use Strategies of Corporate America. Well, today, we have the pleasure to talk to some of the leading office tenant reps in the country. We'll explore how the most successful companies are adjusting their use of office space and what we might expect for office use strategies in 2014. Please welcome Scott Panzer, Vice President Jones Lang LaSalle. Scott works in the New York office. He has completed over 28 million square feet of assignments and was JLL's Global MVP, Most Valuable Player for 2011. Scott, welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show.
1: Michael, good to be back. Good to hear your voice.
0: Well, thank you, sir. And uh, I know things are hopping there in New York, and and one of the questions on a lot of people's mind are, are, are office space efficiency uses. What are you seeing for square footage per employee there in your market?
1: Well, it's not just in our market. It's actually with all of our, our clients throughout the Americas. I mean, we're we're seeing continued downward pressure on the uh, available or occupied space per employee. You know, back in back you know decade ago, fifteen years ago, we were sitting there around two hundred fifty square feet per employee. About uh, six seven years ago, that dropped to about two twenty five. The last couple of years has gone down to two hundred or less, and now there's a big push to get it under one seventy five. Um, We're seeing a lot more benching. We're seeing a lot more hoteling. We're seeing a lot more um, um, companies shuttling their employees out, work and let them work from their homes, um, which is really all driving that that space compression.
0: That's interesting. And, And what does that do into office build outs? What do you see different there?
1: Well, I think I think the big thing that we're seeing is is it's a much more open plan. I mean, it, you know, if you look at even the, when Mayor Bloomberg for, to first took office here, sixteen, seventeen years ago, the first thing he did was model his his mayoral office after his own corporate headquarters, which is no one's in an office; it's all workstations. And and you know, if you look at Jones Lang LaSalle's offices around the country, um, we've pretty much gone to that. You know, there's a few there's a few offices that we're dealing with relative to confidentiality and items like that, but. By and large, everybody else is in, is is an open plan. For the tech sector and media companies, they've all gone to that benching model, um, where they actually take these millennials, you know, these twenty-something-year-old, you know, recent graduates, and stack them across a big conference table and put ten or fifteen of them around a room, all with their laptops and they have their earbuds on, listening to the music and doing their work.
0: <laughs> it looks like a lunchroom, right? <laughs>
1: oh, pretty much, yeah.
0: Okay. And, you know, the market has, has changed over the last several years. I know New York's been a hot market, and, and, and you're, you're doing deals all over the country. What are some of the lease terms and, and clauses that you see that are more important to tenants today?
1: I think the most important thing that we're seeing, again, around the U.S. is is all about flexibility. So contraction options, termination options, expansion options, you know, companies for, for a long time, you know, got burned because they went too long on real estate and took too much space when they went too long on it. So now what they're doing is they're saying, look, we'll, we'll take space today, we'll plan for a lot, nominal amount of growth, maybe 3 to 5%, but then we want additional expansion options baked into our lease, and we also want some give-back options, you know, over, over the three- to five-year period. The other thing we're starting to see is we're starting to see a, um, a recurrence of shorter-term leases um, as companies, you know, sort of watch and react to what's happening in, in, in the, with, with the euro, uh, the European crisis, uh, Obamacare, and other things that are that are, you know, politically sensitive.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And let's talk about Obamacare and, and some of the issues with the federal government. What do you hear from companies? I mean, you're out there dealing with these big decision makers, these big companies. Are, are they pulling back hiring and expansions uh, about what they're seeing out there?
1: Well, not just they're pulling back hiring. They're also continuing to shed bodies. I mean, you, you, know, you just look at the, the continued reduction in employment in the financial service sector here in New York, which is the mecca of the financial world. Um, and all of these companies, whether it's, you know, Morgan Chase or Barclays or, or AXA, they're all shedding, you know, um, uh, hundreds of thousands of square feet of space as a result of not hiring and as a result of continuing to, you know, create a, a more efficient work environment um, with fewer
0: people. And do you hear anything more particularly than others? I mean, do you, are you hearing from them about Obamacare or these debt ceiling debates? Uh, or anything in particular that seems to be bothering you? Yeah,
1: I think, I think less than the debt ceiling debates. I think people feel that the government's stupid enough that they'll figure out and just raise the debt ceiling. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's typically what happens, especially under Obama's tutelage. But more importantly, what we're seeing with a lot of our smaller clients, you know, smaller corporations, they're saying, hey, you know, Obamacare's not going to be much of a factor um, to the extent that we're just going to not provide uh, Health care for our employees, and we'll pay the, the the federal tax of whatever it is, four or five thousand dollars per employee, which is cheaper than than incurring a cost of seven thousand per employee by insuring them themselves.
0: Okay, that's interesting. So you're still seeing a, a pullback there, and and uh, there's some worry.
1: Oh you know, yeah, there's no question. There's worry, there's hesitancy, um, and, and and you know for a fair amount of pullback.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And let's talk about some of the the mistakes that uh, tenants should avoid related to their new office or their lease renewals, what do we say the top three or so uh, uh, mistakes they should avoid?
1: I think the first one, um, which a lot of companies have now reconciled with, but the first one historically and still continues to be somewhat in place, is taking too much space today. So, you know, a little bit overzealous on what their, their, their planned projections are. Companies still look at ten percent or fifteen percent projection. That's not a real, real component, except if you're in the tech sector. Um, and on the the antithesis side of that is the tech sector tends to not take enough space. So they'll go in, they'll sign up a deal, they'll do a ten year term, they'll take twenty thousand square feet, they'll have you know nominal growth options, and all of a sudden they'll wake up in a year and they'll need forty thousand square feet. So that seems to be an inversion of what what typically happened. The second thing is is. Um, In many cases, a lot of companies will sit there and locate um, proximate to where the senior rainmaker either lives or wants to commute to. Big mistake with that is that senior rainmaker's life life cycle in a company tends to be less than three years. So companies that make decisions around a single rainmaker only find themselves three years out now having to make a new occupancy decision after that rainmaker leaves rather than the new one comes in. And then I think the third thing is that overall term um, without flexibility has been a recurring mistake. And that's why I mentioned earlier that, that we're seeing more, more language in lease documents revolving around flexibility.
0: Okay, that's interesting. And are they able to get some of these terms? Are they able to get the flexibility and things in their leases today with the current market, uh, especially in New York?
1: Well, you know, New York is, is is a tale of four different markets. You've got you've got um, the Plaza District, which is the high end rent district, and and you know p- tenants are stepping in and still continuing to pay premium rents for premium space. Um, and they tend to get less flexible options in those environments, right? Without paying a premium for that. In uh, in downtown, you can pretty much write your own ticket for anything you want for expansion and flexibility. And then midtown is sort of a myriad of you know, depending upon the quality of the building and the and and the the ownership, whether it's institutional ownership versus entrepreneurial ownership, typically entrepreneurs tend to give more options than the institutional guys. Um, but if you're a very, fairly large tenant with, with a, big, a big board chest behind you and good credit, you can probably get a good chunk of flexibility.
0: Okay, well, let's talk about rates there. I think uh, you know we have listeners all over the country, and uh, I was in New York uh, recently, and it cost twenty dollars for a cookie on the street. So, so how much? Uh, what are your rates there on some of these spaces?
1: Well, I, you must be buying the cookies that have marijuana baked in, because I haven't seen a twenty dollars cookie yet in New York. Well, I, I certainly and I certainly wouldn't buy a cookie off a street vendor. Well, it was so,
0: good. I, <laughs>
1: so, so but we are again. It's like I said, it's a tale of four different markets here. You know, you've got Plaza District with the rents have just gone through the roof, and we've seen some of the highest rents um, ever paid in this city and certainly in the country because they're up north around $200 a square foot. Then you go downtown, you can see you know fairly low rents running in that, that low to mid-30s number per square foot, full service with a good, healthy TI package and free rent component. And then Midtown is anywhere between 50 and $70 a foot. And then you get Midtown South, which is our tightest market in the city and probably the tightest market in the country, with less than a 3% vacancy. And, again, that's where all the techies are going. And, and those rents have really jumped almost 30% in just the last two years. Interesting.
0: Well, what about uh, space availability and options for companies that want to move to New York right now? Uh, what's a draw to, to come there?
1: You know, there's, there's plenty of space, there's plenty of options. I mean, Google just took another 350,000 square feet in, in the city, so they're, they've got their West Coast campus and the New York campus, um, and, and the attraction is obviously the, the talent that's here, the talent pool that's here. I think the deterrence from, from companies, you know, kind of looking at New York, are going to be the tax structure and the labor cost. But once you get over those two things, there, there's probably no stronger talent pool in this country um, for most sectors than Manhattan and the surrounding areas. Yeah,
0: that's a good point. And good cookies. <laughs> Scott Panzer, thanks for joining us today, sir. My pleasure. If you'd like more information from Scott, visit JLL.com and ask for their Global Most Valuable Player. Or you can find his contact information at com. Well, stay tuned. We're going to have more corporate office tenant strategies in just a moment. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. If you'd like to know the absolute latest on any commercial real estate related subjects, check out our on demand show podcast. For example, last week's show was Reese on Real Estate. Reese lead economist Ryan Severino shared their market projections, including how Obamacare and the shutdown showdown could affect jobs and commercial real estate. And check out the show featuring The Fed's View on Commercial Real Estate and the show on tax credits, where we shared ways to reduce tax liability both personally for your business. And in real estate ventures. There are lots of interesting shows to choose from. Just grab your phone, tablet, or computer and visit iTunes or the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, our topic today is corporate office tenant strategies for 2014. Please welcome my guest, Bob Chodas, principal, Colliers International, Chicago. With a career spanning over 30 years and 13 million square feet, Bob has completed assignments valued at more than $7 billion. Bob has been known to be called the super broker of Chicago. He's also been named chairman of Occupier Services Group of North America for Colliers. Bob, thanks for joining us today.
2: You're welcome, Michael.
0: Thank you. And Bob, one of the subjects that's that's on the mind of of people who own, invest in office buildings and and certainly of occupiers and businesses out there is more efficient use of space. Uh, What do you see there for uh, average square footage per employee and and what do you see for the trend there?
2: Well, the trend is clearly for compression in this area that's happening across all industry sectors. I think if you take a broad View of it legal uh, per employee, you see somewhere in the 300 square feet per employee. Uh, typically, something in the 600 to 700 square feet per attorney, if you will, who sits on the on the window line under the corporate uh, kind of operation. You'll see an average of 200 to 225, maybe as as high as 250 per square feet per employee. And today's more tech driven environments where you're seeing a lot of use of uh, Unique occupancy strategies, sub two hundred a square foot, um, and in organizations like the big advisory firms, like uh, a Deloitte or an Ernst and Young or a KPMG, uh, you'll see hoteling deployed very widely, and they're below using those uh, hoteling strategies below one hundred and fifty square feet wow. per employee.
0: That's interesting. So, are they doing that because they're out of the office a lot?
2: They do. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You'll see one of the the largest trends or most significant trends driving change in the real estate occupier side of the equation is the fact that at 40 to 50 percent of the day, seats are unoccupied within almost every office across the country. And CFOs walk around offices and just sort of scratch their head and say, how do we resolve this issue? We have so much capacity underutilized because people are out with clients or they're out doing research or they're out on the road, uh, doing business and de- developing, you know, relationships. So it's a it's a big big question, biggest driver we see in the industry today.
0: Okay, well that's interesting. I, I see the same thing. Sometimes I walk around my office and I see empty, beautiful single occupier offices on glass, and I think the same thing. You know, it's not very efficient. But are you are employers getting any? pushback? Uh, are they having any challenges with less square footage per employee with recruiting or retention or, or, or operations at all? Do you hear any of that?
2: Well, you know, it's, it's, that's, a, that's a really great question. The fact is, is that in today's job market, um, many people are simply thrilled to have a position at all. And if they're, uh, you know, they, they don't look as hard at their physical space as they have in, in years past. And I, I will say that companies today are designing space to make it very appealing and the environment to be enticing for the workers, even if it is in a more compressed footprint, because they know that to retain the best and brightest people, they have to offer them amenities. So if the actual seat space or place somebody works is compressing, they're also getting support spaces that they can use where they can have a call room or they have uh, teaming spaces or lounges or areas where they can aggregate uh, that are just not at their desk. So there's a lot of tra- trade-off happening, uh, but there is a bunch of pushback on the compression of space and the, and the use of benching and strategies where people are literally sitting across from one another face-to-face, side-to-side.
0: So what do you expect moving forward into 2014? You, you expect to see more compression of, of space per employee?
2: I think you're gonna see this as an ongoing trend, period. Okay. Uh, they, the fact is is that real estate, is a is a line item within the cost of a business's operations that that everyone's trying to manage and control and reduce because the cost of space is, is you know is going up no matter how uh, markets react over time the cost to deliver these buildings keeps increasing so the cost of the real estate itself becomes uh, more and more expensive so we're going to see the companies deploying strategies to reduce uh, footprint on an ongoing basis. Uh, for years and years to come like okay. to come
0: okay well, what about lease terms and clauses I mean we went through a tough cycle and, and now it's turned around and in most markets in some cases it's a landlord's market are there lease terms and clauses that that seem more important to tenants or less important than we've seen in the last few years
2: well it, it's interesting you know everyone used to focus on just the rent and mm-hmm. on the tenant improvement allowance and the rent abatements and you know what they could get out of that and uh, that all those things are today are still very very important but given the the default rate that has occurred with owners of real estate over the past cycle uh, probably the number one provision we see tenants demanding you know some level of support on is self-help provisions the ability to self-help or resolve a, a landlord default uh, particularly if there's a monetary um, event involved they want the right to offset uh, to fix the problem, if you will, and offset the cost of that against rent, and you can imagine that that is a very hard provision for a lender to swallow if they have not taken, you know, possession of an asset and, and taken deed in lieu, if you will, and, and, and wash the owner out of the way. So that's a, that's probably the number one thing we see people fighting for. The other areas that we um, that that people are paying tremendous attention to are options, options to terminate, options to contract expand right-of-first offers and right-of-first refusals. And the interesting thing is on these contraction and termination rights, they don't want them to be tied to an all-or-nothing outcome. They want the right to contract uh, 25% of their space at a given point in time or terminate one, two, three floors, all floors of their space at given points downstream in a lease. And so th- these are very difficult issues for owners to swallow and, and, and to frankly, to finance, but they are things that tenants are focused very heavily on today.
0: Are you seeing more tenants uh, able to get those today, or is the market firming up a little bit and uh, a little more difficult to get those options to terminate or contract?
2: It's very market-driven. You know, New York is very hard to get a lot of these things. Uh, Chicago, a little bit better. Uh, San Francisco, tough market to get some of these. It it all depends on uh, how how tight or or loose the market is from a vacancy perspective, And, and that's a that's a, a, a sub-market question in many locations, whether it's a Super A building, A, B, C, near the transportation hubs, away from transportation hubs. Those, those uh, characteristics will dictate the degree to which an owner will be receptive or um, recalcitrant in those kinds of negotiations.
0: That's an excellent point, and we're short on the break. What's the quick answer to FASB? Are you seeing tenants based decisions on, on FASB where they might have to put their leases on their, on their balance sheet as a liability.
2: Tenants are looking at it. They're, they're aware of it. We don't see a lot of discussion about it because it hasn't yet come to the fore. Uh, people are not, um, it, the, the legislation hasn't really taken effect yet, so people are more focused on things like workplace strategy, and, and the fact is, is that if they build space, it's so expensive, it's very difficult to do a short-term
0: lease. Right. Yeah. So the need for space is more important than the, than the accounting. You've got to get the business running right. Well, stay with us. More from Bob Chotis. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by France Media. France Media provides exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com or call 404 832 8262. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We have some great shows coming up for you, including a show on the single-tenant net lease investment market, sometimes referred to as mailbox money. The single-tenant market offers investors a strong, safe return and a great opportunity to lock in the current low interest rates. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Sign up for a a once-a-week email announcing the show topic at the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Our topic today is Corporate Office Tenant Strategies for 2014. We're talking with Bob Chodis, an office tenant rep with Collier's International Chicago. And Bob, what are the top three mistakes that office tenants should avoid in a lease negotiation or a relocation or renewal?
2: Well, you know, uh, in our business, we often say uh, make sure you get a good advisor to work with you from day one. Uh, companies are people who represent themselves in a process that is complex as, uh, as a real estate lease and has a far-reaching impact on their business that it can have. They represent themselves. They have, a, as you know, a pool for a client. <laughs> so we uh, we do advise people to seek out good, quality, trustworthy uh, forward-thinking real estate advisors who can help them uh, go through the, the the myriad of topics they need to focus on, and that really links to the second issue, which is strategy. Uh, many people will look at uh, the real estate and start going out in the market, saying, "Do I like this? Do I like that? What markets do I want to tour?" We we would say, "Sit back and and say, I have an opportunity to wipe the canvas clean here and do something completely different, and with that as a backdrop, what should I do, and how do I link?" the changing demographic of my workforce, the technologies that are driving my business, the processes that are in place, how do I create a real estate solution that is going to drive profit into my business? And then the last thing is to link IT, HR, the C-suite, and staff representations in the process early so you can find out what it is really the people that drive your business, what their needs are, and how do you deploy a real estate strategy that, that meets those needs
0: those are excellent points it's uh not just where the ceo lives
2: right? it, it truly is not just where the ceo lives though we do see that happen from time
0: to time okay another important item is is timing isn't it uh, so so the tenant doesn't get uh, behind the eight ball time wise what are some um example time frames that uh corporate uh users should think about for a renewal or, or a new space process
2: well, again, that can be driven by the size of facility or the, or the technical aspects of the facility that, that uh, can influence the timing to get, in, to get an outcome in place. But generally speaking, minimally 18 months in front of any lease expiry, they should, somebody should be thinking about that. And if you have a termination right in your lease, you should be 18 months in front of that termination right or a contraction right, because those, again, are, are events that you can utilize to trigger a negotiation on a very large lease, um, anything that might involve the building of a new building, you have to remember that a new building can take upwards of 30 months to build and then six to nine months to build the tenant improvements in front of it. And then it'll take, you know, another year to zone it and get it ready to go. So you can easily, on a large lease, be five to six years in front of that lease expiry. That's the time frame when you start negotiating whether you might stay and, and do what we call a blend and extend an existing lease or relocate to a new development, which is then going to take three years to put in place.
0: Yeah, those are great points, Bob. And we see the same thing that uh, some tenants get started too late and, uh, and then they lose the power in the in negotiations there. Absolutely. Well, and, and you're, you're, you're working all over the country now as Chairman of, uh, of Corporate Services Group there, but uh, you're, all, you're based in Chicago. Tell us a little bit about the Chicago market and, and what's the draw to Chicago for uh, corporate users?
2: Well, the, one of the one of the great features of Chicago is its employment base. It's got an incredible um, workforce in the in the central core marketplace and surrounding regional market. It's a 350 million square foot plus market. Downtown market's 144 million square feet. We have some of the top universities in the United States located within our marketplace, and so we are able to uh, we're able to really offer an incredible workforce. And our, our, our market as a whole has gone through a, a real rejuvenation of the downtown core with the development of Millennium Park and the creation of boulevards and landscaping and a, a 24-hour city. So uh, people are moving back into the core of Chicago because it's such a great place to live. Uh, vacancy in our market today is sub 11%, you know, 12% in, across the market, but in the Class A high-rise view corridors, we're sub 5 and 4%. So uh, it's a market that didn't go off the edge of the cliff, if you will, when we went through the financial crisis, and we were not overbuilt and new buildings weren't happening. The first new building coming out of the ground today is a new building at River Point in Chicago that Hines is developing. It's a 47-story new high-rise. That's the first building since uh, 2009 deliveries that were incepted in 2005. So you can see it's been a long cycle in the market, but overall very healthy.
0: Okay. Well, Bob, thanks for sharing your wisdom with our listeners today. We sure appreciate your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. If you like more information from Bob Chodas, visit commercialrealestateshow.com. We have his information there for you. And, and stay tuned. We're going to have more intel on office tenant strategies, including more about timing and more about some other strategies involving your lease. I'm Michael Bull, and you're listening to the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Does your company provide professional services to the commercial real estate industry? The Commercial Real Estate Show is an excellent way to reach your target audience. For advertising options, visit CommercialRealEstateShow.com or call 888-612-SHOW. Welcome back, I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. If you're listening to the show online or one of our radio stations around the nation, be sure to check out our YouTube channel. You can access some great commercial real estate videos. There are three sections there. The first section is our market updates, and the second section features industry intel, and the third section features available properties. Just visit YouTube and search for the channel, Commercial Real Estate Show. Well, today we're exploring corporate office tenant strategies for 2014. Please welcome my guest, Richard Rhodes, with Cressa in Washington, D.C. Cressa is the largest tenant-only commercial real estate advisory firm in North America. They have 58 offices and about 1,000 employees. Rich Rhodes is a managing principal in the Washington, D.C. office and also chairman of the board of directors of the national organization. Rich, thanks for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me, Michael. Appreciate it.
0: Well, Rich, thanks. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's on uh, office owners' minds and and, uh, tenants around the country and corporate users uh, is a more efficient use of space. And we'd like to get your opinion and, and what you see in your practice day to day for square footage per employee, and uh, what do you see for trends there?
3: Yeah, sure. It is definitely the hot topic, and certainly a topic that is at the forefront of every discussion we have with a prospect or a client. Um, you know, most groups are interested in becoming more efficient. But more often than not, they tend to maintain their current office or their workstation ratio, and they simply decrease their sizing standards to reflect modern work requirements. Therefore, so uh, they're more reliant on technology, which means less desk storage uh, and less desk and storage bases needed. So, generally speaking, you asked about ratios for nonprofits and associations. We're looking at about 250 to 350 square feet per person for law firms, 350 to 450 per person, or 550 per to 800 per attorney, if you will. And for technology or media firms, we're looking as low as 110 to 250 per person. The challenges is if you go from a private office intensive layout uh, to a hybrid or primarily open office environment, change management has to start at the top, and that's the key you have to have people who are buying into the change and can sell it down the line uh, if there isn't buy-in you're going to have difficulty getting employees to believe that change is for the better
0: yeah that's a good point uh we did some really nice open pods in our office and uh you know the the employees seem to really like it uh, and they're also very expensive and, and very cool but uh Uh, it is a different environment. And what do you see for uh, office design and furniture and construction? Uh, What changes are you seeing there? What's the latest?
3: Well, the latest is that we're going from offices on the exterior to workstations on the perimeter, offices on the interior with uh, glass line. This is nothing new. I, I saw this 20 years ago when I think Prudential was one of the first companies I saw put offices inside. But it seems to be uh, more than a trend, um, it seems to be where we're headed in the future. Um, the delineation of hierarchy, hierarchy by office size is going away. Um, it's easier to manage uh, political issues like promotions by having just one office size. Um, of course, an overall reduction of space, companies becoming more efficient. Um, And using more collaborative space, such as huddle rooms or multi-purpose rooms. So, for example, we, too, just moved. And we, too, just went from private office to glass offices and open space. But our kitchen is in the middle of the space. It's on the window line. It's used throughout the day as secondary conference space. So no longer are are tenants paying for pantries for an hour a day of usage we find ways to design it so that it can be multi-purposed and it can be a central meeting point.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And, uh, and also, you don't have to have that, that corner glass office to, to feel like you're important anymore. I mean, I think my office, they put me in a closet-sized room on an interior, so I shouldn't feel bad about that, right?
3: <laughs> well, listen, I'm comfortable anywhere. You know, they put me in an office, and I was perfectly happy in a workstation, but that's yeah. the way it goes.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, just just keep me, right? <laughs> well, what, and you're there in, in D.C. Uh, working. Uh, what do you see related to, to federal government issues, uh, Obamacare, and, and federal cutbacks? Uh, is that affecting your market in a big way there?
3: In a big way. Um, in Washington, we're used to being number one or number two in the nation with New York City, certainly since 9-11, where all the money went into homeland security and defense contracting. Um, with the debt ceiling/sequestration non-stop discussion and uh, the inability to come to some agreement in congress um, people are frightened uh and they have cut back their office requirements primarily in the government contracting more specifically defense contracting world so you don't see that explosion of growth that you've seen over the past few years. Now, generally speaking, Michael, I think you'll agree we're in an optimistic business. We think that uh, the business uh, ebbs and flows in cycles. And I think that this is a uh, potentially another cycle of some sort. But right now, everybody's tightening their bootstraps. And I think that is a big influence on this trend to become more efficient. I've seen this in the past. I've seen in a what I'll call a, a, a negative economy, a bad economy, tenants go to um, work-from-home scenarios, uh, working at uh, benches so that people are lined up a little more efficiently, and then the economy improves, and everybody wants to come back in the office because they've lost the synergies. I think this is a little different. I think that this is more permanent as far as uh, becoming more efficient. Even furniture manufacturers are... Leading the cause. Workplace strategist is a new job title, right? We haven't heard before. So um, uh, it has definitely affected our market. Um, but again, I'm optimistic that we'll be back.
0: Right. Okay. We're going to take a quick break here. When we get back. We'll learn about some mistakes to avoid. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show, where we always have fun. If you appreciate the Commercial Real Estate Show, can you let us know about it? Shoot us an email or like us on Facebook or comment on YouTube or or tweet the show on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. You can find all our contact information and social media links at the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're exploring corporate office tenant strategies for 2014. We're talking with Rich Rhodes with Cressa in Washington, D.C., And Rich, what would you say are the top three mistakes that corporate office tenant users should avoid?
3: Well, I'll take this opportunity to be a little self-serving since Cressa only represents tenants. It means that we're very sensitive to conflicts of interest. So I would say you should always be wary of using a brokerage firm who represents landlords as a part of their revenue source because you can't effectively represent two parties, certainly not in a transaction. number two, I would say almost never simply exercise a renewal option. In my 30 years, I'm not sure I've ever had a tenant who just said, I'm going to exercise my renewal option. There is always an opportunity to renegotiate. So there's a fine line there between exercising a renewal and renegotiating your renewal. And then thirdly, uh, I would say always start the process at least 12 months ahead of when you think you need to start. Not that it's going to take that long, but having time as leverage, particularly in a soft tenants market, can only work to your advantage.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point, and uh, it might even be number one. I think that's one of the ones we see that uh, is a big mistake is uh, when they start too late. And uh, Well, let's talk about the market briefly there in uh, DC. What are the major draws there, and uh, how is the market?
3: Well, I'll tell you, we've been a major draw for several corporate headquarters recently, including separate uh, headquarters relocations, including Northrop Grumman, SAIC, Hilton, Volkswagen. They've all moved to this tri-state region, if you would. Uh, part of that is that there's been a fair amount of incentive money available from the local jurisdictions, but moreover and generally, you know, we're the center of government. We're the capital of the world. Uh, we've got an intelligent workforce. We're culturally and racially diverse in our workforce. We have an excellent public school system. And as I said before, I think you're looking at inevitable growth in this area because the government is here.
0: Right. Yeah, well, that's a good point. And what are some other tips and and strategies that uh, you could share with our uh, listeners around the country?
3: Well, look, you know, everybody needs representation, so I always recommend that you interview a handful of real estate advisors before making a decision. Even if you know very little about real estate, you'll become quickly educated on the market and on services that various companies provide. Um, in the end, of course, Cressa will always be your best choice, but <laughs> uh, make an informed decision nonetheless.
0: Okay. And uh, what about uh, FASB uh, for a final question for you? Yeah. You know, the Financial Accounting Standards Board, is, 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 everyone believes it's going to have the requirement where you're going to put your uh, lease on your balance sheet as, as a liability as, as if you were buying the property. Have you seen any corporate users uh, think about that or talk about that in their decisions for leasing space?
3: Well, we, we are definitely trying to be forward-thinking on that issue. We're looking into specialized software. We formed an internal committee to evaluate uh, FASB and the impact on the balance sheet. Uh, the answer to your question is yes. A couple of organizations, one in particular who was looking to sell their company, this could have a negative impact on their EBITDA, so they are very sensitive to the length of lease term, amount of space they're about to lease uh, that could take away from the marketability uh, but other than that, it, it's, it's on everybody's uh, pay attention list, but I have not seen it substantially affect lease negotiations at this point. Have okay. you, Michael?
0: No, I really haven't. Sometimes it surprises me, but uh, <laughs> I think it should be on the mind. Well, Rich, thanks for sharing your insight with America today. We appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Pleasure. For more from Rich, uh, visit Cressa.com or we'll have his contact information at commercialrealestateshow.com. I have a question for you as a listener. Can you join us next week? Well, I hope so. We'll have a great show on the single-tenant net lease investment market. I'm Michael Bull. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by your friends at Bull Realty, France Media, Atlanta Office Liquidators, and Wiseman, Noack, Curry, and Wilco. For more information about these companies or to access additional show podcasts, videos, or blogs, visit CommercialRealEstateShow.com.